Welcome to the Canon Law Society of America podcast, where Catholic canon lawyers share their stories, their knowledge, and their love for the law. Now, here's your host with this episode's guest canonist. So today we're honored to be talking with Sister Victoria Vandenberger, a Sister of Mercy who ministers mostly in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. Sister Vicki was the CLSA's 2017 Roll of Law Award winner. Welcome, Sister Vicki. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Well, we've had the opportunity, you and I, over the recent months to correspond on various projects that the CLSA has undertaken. And it, it brings me to ask you some questions First of all, how did you come to study canon law, or what led you to study canon law? I was teaching high school in Toledo in the 1980s when our Cincinnati province of the Sisters of Mercy sent out a checklist. They were asking how we saw ourselves, what we saw ourselves doing in the next 10 years in order to help them plan commitments to various ministries. I checked off the usual high school teaching and administration as well as offering spiritual direction on the side and directing retreats in the summers when I was off of school. But after I returned my responses to the community, every time I sat down to pray, it was like canon law was blinking in neon lights off to the left or off to the right in my vision. My spiritual director at the time was an older Jesuit, Henry Birkenhauer. When I asked him what kind of work a person would do with a degree in canon law, I didn't even know that, he got so excited saying how good he thought I would be for tribunal ministry. I still hear him saying, your mind would grasp it all and your heart would use it well, seeking both God's justice and mercy. Trained to do spiritual direction myself, I was not surprised when he realized he had forgotten to be objective to listen and wait for me to hear what God was saying. So he backtracked. You have to remember that you would be primarily working with people in broken marriages, and that could be quite depressing. I told him I wasn't going to live at the tribunal, only work there. Then I called my contact person on our provincial council and asked whether they put canon law twice on the list of so many ministries because they wanted somebody to go into it. She said they didn't list anything twice, but one of the sisters I lived with was always late to return things, so I had asked to see her papers from the province, and I was sure that canon law had been listed under church ministry and a second time under working for justice. The provincial counselor laughed and said that was a mistake of the provincial council, and I was sure to consider that the work of the Holy Spirit. I did. For me, it was a moment of grace, or what I like to call a moment of God help. That very ordinary mercy community communication was the trigger for me to consider studying canon law. And, and where did you do your studies? At uh, St. Paul's in Ottawa, Canada. Okay, I was also a St. Paul student myself. Oh, good, so. I didn't know that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, so now... After you did your studies and finished, got your degree, you went to, were you already in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati? Is that where you were at the time and that's where you've been since? I had done an internship at the tribunal here in Cincinnati for during the summer before I went to study canon law. I had most recently, well, I said I was 
coming from Toledo, which is a different diocese, but still in Ohio. But I was born in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati and did my initial teaching here. So I was Cincinnati connected. So after I got my degree in 1990 from St. Paul's, I came back to Cincinnati as the defender of the bond and the promoter of justice. After 20 years of high school teaching and administration, I was surprised that some of the same skills that I taught students in literature about analyzing characters in a novel or a play to see whether they agreed with or contradicted each other, especially in articles or plots that required finding the truth, some of those same skills were now helpful in reviewing cases to see how the petitioner or respondent or witnesses contradicted or corroborated facts about a possible grant possible ground for nullity. Then in 1991, just a year after my canon law studies, Archbishop Largic asked me if I would consider becoming the first non-priest to be director of the tribunal. I was headed for a retreat in California, so I promised to pray about that and meet with him when I returned. Retreat that year did not focus on the question about becoming tribunal director, but rather just deepening my relationship with God. However, after that retreat, I and a friend had the chance to stay in a large cabin in Yosemite National Park for a couple of days with several other religious. In the early morning, I sat on the back steps of the cabin facing half dome. I looked up at that mammoth stone, picturing the hierarchical structure of the church. Could God really be asking me to become even a small part of that huge rock which seems so opposite of nurturing life? I tried to be open. Before we left on the last day, I sat on those same steps one last time, but I had put in my contact lenses, unlike the early mornings when I had prayed before. Imagine my chagrin when I could see that there were trees growing right out of that rock. I think God was laughing with me as well as at me. I have a picture I took of Half Dome on that trip in my Bible as a reminder. But then on the plane home from my first visit to California, I saw Pelargic in a headline in a paper the man next to me was reading. Our Archbishop had been called to Rome as president of the Bishop's Conference and reprimanded, I think is the word they used, for discussing including women in the structure of the church. So I figured becoming tribunal director was a moot point, but I felt confused after praying with those trees growing right out of the huge rock face. On my first day back in the office, the archbishop asked whether I had decided to accept his request to become tribunal director. I told him about seeing the headline and my confusion. His reply was, I'm not asking a woman to become director of the tribunal, Vicky. I'm asking an excellent canonist who happens to be female. That's a limb I'm willing to go out on with Rome. So I responded, then I'm willing to go out with you. The local Catholic paper had a headline that read something like, first lay head of archdiocesan tribunal. My dad called telling me that mom was upset because he didn't want to say he was, that I did not even tell my parents I left the community. 
That left me explaining to my parents, there are two categories of people in canon law, clergy and laity, as you know, and religious can be either clergy or lay. That moment reminded me again to be careful about canonical jargon, especially when speaking with lay people. When he became auxiliary bishop, Carl Modell and I did five evenings in different geographic parts of the archdiocese for people separated from the church over marriage issues. Once again, that same lesson about avoiding canonical jargon came home to me. We traded on the fact that many people in various parts of the archdiocese would like a chance to meet the new bishop, and we could use that to interest people in hearing about the tribunal process. After we both spoke, we took a few general questions before dividing the people into small groups with either procurator advocates or priests to assist them. I had talked about the requirements for a lack of canonical form situation, as well as a quick overview of various kinds of marriage cases. One young man stood out in the crowd of over 100 people in our meeting in Dayton because he was wearing a dress uniform from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. He stood up and directed his question to me and said he had a lack of form marriage, but the Catholic chaplain at the base was making them complete questions for a formal case. Okay, I said, are you Catholic? No, but my wife was. And you did not marry in a Catholic church before a priest or a deacon? No. Who did marry you? Her uncle, the bishop. There I stood, saying bishops count. But a non-Catholic would not know that. He only knew he was not married by a priest or a deacon, which I said was required. Another reminder of that need to avoid Catholic jargon. That's a great story. <laughs> I think there, uh, there are a lot of lessons in that, uh, just in that little story that you told. So, Sister Vicki, you've been a member for many years of the CLSA, and we are very, very blessed to have you. You've done so many uh, things. All we need to do is look at your uh, membership profile on the CLSA website. So how has being a member of CLSA influenced your ministry? Oh, wow. CLSA has so enriched my life, not only through contact with others in the same ministry at conventions, national, regional, even the gatherings of Ohio canonists, but especially through getting to know canonists from all over the country through working on committees and task forces. If an unusual situation arises in our archdiocese, I usually know a couple of people from CLSA I can consult about it. As in that example about being married by a bishop, sometimes the best things we learn from other canonists are simple and clear ways to explain complicated canon law as it applies to the lives of the people we're trying to assist. I joined CLSA as soon as I got my degree. At my first convention in 1990, Frank Morrissey, who was one of my favorite teachers, won the Role of Law Award. As I applauded for Frank, I had no suspicion that I might ever be considered for that award. One of the many things I liked about Frank was how he taught us with so many real and practical examples of applying the law. I try to do that also. I think learning from examples from people's lives is why Jesus taught in parables. 
My ministry was greatly enriched when Frank spoke in class of putting his hand on each case file and praying for all those involved in the case. I tell those I've taught at the seminary about my doing that, hoping it might inspire them also. I was very surprised at one CLSA convention to learn that not all my classmates remember that tip from Frank about a simple way to remind ourselves that we are doing God's work and not our own. That was a profound learning experience for me beyond the details of canon law. Because I've been blessed to do a number of presentations for national and regional conventions, many people have consulted about situations in their dioceses with tribunal cases as well as religious law. So that leaves me free to use real life examples of situations without my listeners thinking I'm betraying specific details from Cincinnati cases. SST, Sacramentorum Sanctitatis Tutela, came out from Rome in 2001, causing tribunals who never thought about holding a penal trial to learn how to conduct a penal trial. As I said earlier, I became promoter of justice in 1990, right after my canon law studies. Archbishop Polarczyk and I agreed the best way to protect the rights of all those involved in a penal situation was to hold a trial if the controversy could not be settled in another way. We had our first penal trial in 1991. Our first cases did not involve sexual abuse, so we worked out proper procedures without the emotional overload of those situations. Then in 2002, just a year after SST was promulgated, the CLSA convention was held in Cincinnati. As local liaison for that convention, I met with the convention planners and the Board of Governors, and we were all so concerned about possible problematic media presence. We even had special tickets for only CLSA members to attend the closed hearing on penal law. At that closed hearing, I mentioned that we had done a number of penal trials before SST, and I would be willing to share sanitized documents to assist other tribunals. That ended up being a packet of about 75 pages of procedures, decrees, letters, etc. Over 115 dioceses requested those packets. I whited out all the names of those involved in the case, except for me and the archbishop. I told him if a document came from me in a case, they would know he was the bishop involved, so he agreed. Those materials led to many consultations about penal law, not just marriage cases and religious law, leaving me to explain, like Frank Morrissey, with specific examples about penal trials, not being concerned that those listening might think I was betraying details from Cincinnati cases. My involvement in penal trials even led to me being invited to be present as part of a penal law symposium and a penal law conference in Rome. <clears throat> when Bruce Miller was president of CLSA and he called to tell me about the role of law award, he very cleverly told me he needed me to do a presentation at the next convention and he was so sorry he was giving me less than a year's notice. I told him I had never refused a request from CLSA because I benefited so much from the society, especially the conventions, but I had just recently done a CLSA convention seminar on the role of defender of the bond, 
so I asked whether he should not give another canonist the chance to do the presentation. Bruce said no one else could do it, and then he very quickly said, because he needed me to accept the role of law award. It took me a minute to process what he had said. This extrovert was actually speechless, but only for a moment or two. Most teachers know how much we learn from questions our students ask, just as those of us who've been CLSA presenters know we learn so much from those who consult with us after our presentations. I'm an avid reader and my friends know that I devour anything I can get my hands on about canon law, but I have to say I learn even more from those who consult about real life situations. Even at CLSA conventions with excellent presentations, I am most grateful to the time to talk with others who are ministering daily in the corner of God's vineyard called Canon Law. So CLSA has really been such a blessing in my life and my ministry. Wow, very profound. And Sister Vicki, in preparation for talking with you today, I went back and read your rule of law response and I can't recommend enough for everyone listening, all CLSA members, to go back and reread that because you, you're almost like a storyteller. I can tell you are a teacher. And, and in fact, within that talk, you talk about being a musician, a teacher, a canonist, even a dancer, which leads me to ask you one final question. What do you think Catherine McCauley would say uh, about your accomplishments? You know, I think Catherine McCauley had struggles as she founded our community, trying to found in 1831 a community of sisters that moved among the poor rather than lived in a cloister. But she had excellent advice from canon lawyers in her day who helped her to do that. So I think she would be happy that I'm trying to work for both justice and mercy within the church because she actually tried to work within the church. Catherine McCauley did not want to found a religious order, but the priests advising her warned her that as a lay woman, she wouldn't be able to do the ministry she felt God was calling her to without having the structure of a religious community. So I feel like Catherine's right there supporting me through everything that comes up in canon law. Well, Sister Vicki, we are so grateful that you joined us today for to share some of your memories and accomplishments. And as I said, when people look at your directory on the CLSA website, they can certainly see why you were awarded the Rule of Law Award. And so as we, we sign off today, do you have any final words of advice for your students or anyone that might be listening? I think the main thing would be go back to what Frank Morrissey had said to us about remembering that we're doing God's work, not our own, and whatever helps you do that. I mentioned Frank's advice to put my hand on a case and pray for all those who are involved. Many, many years ago, when I was a young sister, I heard Richard Rohr talk about the call of the disciples. And his comment was, as you move on today, every time you go through a door, ask yourself, am I allowing myself to be sent or am I just going? That's another thing that I do. Every time I touch a door or a doorknob, I pray that I'm allowing myself to be sent. Thank you, Sister Vicki. So we're going to sign off now. And only if you've read Sister Vicki's Rule of Law Award response will you understand the 
meaning of this phrase that I sign off with. So I say, Dominus Vobiscum. Thank you, Sister Vicky. <laughs> Thank you, Donna. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Bye.